Welcome to the Under the Sea Bass Podcast, Episode 2, Chile. The country of Chile, located in South America along the Pacific coast, is currently experiencing yet another major political protest, but not one this big since the military coup in 1973. Over a million people are protesting in the streets, with some of them now rioting all through the night, looting supermarkets, fighting with the federal police using petrol bombs, and even setting 22 train stations on literal fire. A state of emergency has been declared in Chile following violent protests over a fare increase for the city's subway system. The subway system's headquarters were set on fire in Santiago last night. Many subway stations were also damaged and shut down. As of today, 20 people have died in the violence. And it all started because the government's decision to raise the price of public transportation by four cents. Meanwhile, in New Jersey, the Port Authority wants to charge us nearly $20 across the GW Bridge. Jersey Transit is the absolute worst because they are incompetent. Anyway, unlike New Jerseyans, the Chileans have reached their bowling point. It began with students jumping over turnstiles at train stations, refusing to pay the fare, and then turned into full blown riots. And though the price hike has been reversed, this ultimately was the spark that lit up the bus and train stations, literally. And it has to do with one common theme that the people are really angry about in Chile, and have been protesting about for over 15 years now, and that is wealth inequality. Proud that everyone finally realized that the people above us governing are all a monopoly and that there's no justice for people in any sense. There's discrimination from the poorest to the richest. And the truth is, I'm very happy because everyone realized this. I've always been waiting for a moment like this in my life. Now, let's provide some backstory. In 1988, Chile went through a major governmental transition. Then former leader and infamous dictator Augusto Pinochet, responsible for the killings of 3,000 people and getting away with it, lost a referendum that asked the people of Chile whether he should remain in power. The people chose no, sparking democratic elections in Chile for the first time since 1970. In 1990, Pinochet stepped down but still remained in charge of the military. So now Chile is back to being a democratic nation, but rather a neoliberal one because what did remain from the Pinochet regime was a highly privatized economy. I mean, even water was owned by a for profit business. Most dictators would normally take full control of the country's institutions and make them state owned, but not Pinochet. He preferred free market capitalism to his authoritarian style. With that, Chile's economy boomed in the 2000s and quickly became one of the richest countries in Latin America. So now let's fast forward to April of 2006. High school students and even some middle school students across Chile demonstrated in what is now known as the Penguin Revolution. Marked mostly because of the color of their uniforms and because they were sort of marching like penguins. But aside from a cute nickname, this Penguin Revolution embroiled hundreds of thousands of high school students across Chile, demanding that the government provide them with a better public education, better policy representation in government. Lower fees for college admission exams, which was raised to 28,000 Chilean pesos or 50 US dollars, and the overall free use of public transportation for students, which was then rumored to be limited to just two free travels a day. Which, you know, hearing about this in hindsight doesn't sound too bad in comparison to us.、Uh, hey, New Jersey, you still listening? Jersey Transit is the absolute worst! The difference here is that most of the protesters were students from public schools rather than private schools. In Chile, 
roughly half of public school graduates fail their college admission exams, while over 90% of private high school students pass, hence the major demands for the improvement in overall public education. Then, in May of 2006, then-President Michel Bachelet of the Socialist Party promised to address the concerns by announcing a series of educational reforms in her annual speech. But when she decided on second thought, nope, not going to do that, the protest became full-blown riots, with students barricading themselves inside the schools and then fighting with police. The people, not just high school students now, but university students, teachers, parents, and even some private school students at this point, began to demand a complete change in the educational system. Firstly, by abolishing something called LOCE, which was a Chilean law established by Pinochet that regulates the educational system and basically opened the doors for privatizing education. After weeks of rioting and fighting with police, Bachelet finally gave in to some of the students' demands. She created an advisory board with high school student representation and put forward legislation to end LOCE. Soon after, the takeover of schools by the students ended, and life was back to normal. Sort of. That was 2006. Now, fast forward to June 2011. More student-led protest ignites Chile. Student demonstrators in Chile took direct action in the Senate headquarters on Thursday by forcing their way into the building in Santiago. They interrupted a committee meeting and broadcast their demonstration live over the internet by webcam, calling for more people to come and join them. This time, the protest was led by greater discontent over for-profit universities and the lack of publicly funded universities in the country as a whole. If the math serves us right here, and I'm not a math major for sure, most of the early high school and middle school students that protested in the Penguin March of 2006 are now involved with this protest as well. And their demands are still similar to what they wanted just five years prior. Better governmental support of public universities, a better college admissions process to prestigious universities that focuses less on standardized testing, free public education so access to higher education doesn't depend on a family's economic situation, more government control over primary and secondary schools, which gives less control to for-profit businesses, increased government spending on education, higher pay for teachers, and a free student bus pass for the whole year, among a few other things. And during this protest, one key figure for the student movement was someone by the name of Camila Vallejo, president of the Student Federation from the University of Chile and currently a politician representing the Communist Party. She had this to say in 2011. Many European countries have reached a national consensus to guarantee quality public education for all in order to become more developed nations. We have to end the inequality, segregation and injustice of our education system. It's not utopian. Others have achieved it. And one quick side note here, some of the biggest universities in Chile are also major first division soccer teams, professional soccer teams. University of Chile, Universidad de Concepción, and current defending champions, Universidad Católica, or Catholic University of Chile, is well worth over $20 million. So these schools do not have a small price tag. It's like going to a major D1 school here in the States. So keep that in mind. But back to the protests in 2011, protesters this time demonstrated by staging hunger strikes, sit-ins, pillow fights, and even kissing boots literally made so people can make out for hours. 
which sounds kind of great. While others decided to again throw rocks and stones at police, with police responding with tear gas and water cannons. Some students even tried to seize a TV station to broadcast their demands. Things were getting out of hand quickly. So then, President Sebastián Pineda, who's also now the current president, but we'll get to that, decided to fire his education secretary and also promised $4 billion in public education funding. On the flip side, though, he allowed universities to continue to engage in for-profit activity and rejected any kind of public ownership of education. This obviously did not appease the students, and the riots continued for a few more weeks, with the kids setting fire in the streets, burning down a department store, and banging pots and pans all day from their homes, reminiscent of the call to the streets using the Pinochet era. But then on August 31, 2011, the Education Committee of the Chilean Senate approved a bill that would prohibit state support of for-profit educational institutions, a fundamental demand of the student movement but private universities were still allowed to engage in for-profit activity. And with less public universities in Chile in general, and those that existed didn't necessarily provide the best education, there weren't really many options for students to choose from. You had to choose a private school. And still, most of the students' demands for free education and free bus passes were not met, and access to affordable education in Chile is still, well, only a privilege for the wealthy. A few years of back-and-forth talks about providing universal free higher education came to nothing, and it caused another protest to break out in 2016. Again, students demanded that President Bachelet, who's back in office, by the way, speed up educational reforms. This protest also resulted in violence and clashes with police. So now let's count them. That's now one, two, three, three major protests in the past 13 years about the same things in Chile. Which brings us to today, 2019. Major protest number four. Chile is extending the state of emergency to cities in the north and south. Rioting continued in spite of a curfew imposed for a second consecutive night. Protesters clashing with police in many areas of the capital, Santiago. The president is Sebastián Pineda. Yes, the same guy from 2011 and a man worth $2.4 billion, making him one of the richest people in Chile and the first right-wing candidate to be democratically elected president since 1958. So for those of you keeping score at home, the presidency in Chile went from Michelle Bachelet in 2006 to Pineda in 2010, back to Bachelet in 2014, and now back to Pineda. Wow. And if you're wondering, well, maybe this has something to do with the continuous unrest we've seen in Chile in the past 13 years. And I would say, well, you won't be wrong. The government doesn't listen. They play deaf. They don't care about us. It is that we do not exist. For them, it's easier to raise the cost and earn money for themselves. They don't respect retirees. They don't respect anything. The price of gas and electricity go up. There is no respect for the people. Only enriching the business and government people. But the overall theme here is wealth inequality, and especially in education. Almost half of Chilean workers make about 400,000 Chilean pesos, or 550 US dollars a month. And the cost of education can be quite costly for them. Public schools and subsidized private schools are allowed to charge a mandatory monthly tuition, which in 2011 was equal to over 72,000 Chilean pesos, or about 150 US dollars in both primary and secondary schools. And this $150 a month for, say, a worker who makes this $550 is a big price to pay. Our wages are ridiculous. Without the loan, we'd have to choose between educating them or not having enough to eat. That is our reality. 
However, Chile does provide voluntary payments for secondary schools, allowing parents of children to pay a monthly tuition if they so choose, but they must pay an annual tuition. However, 99% of schools in Chile is run by a private company, with only one school run by the Ministry of Education and one that is completely financed by the state, a school by the name of Escuela Villa Las Estrellas and Antarctica, a little unknown school and most certainly none in the capital of Santiago. For higher education, though, all universities require an enrollment fee and tuition. Chile does provide some scholarships and grants to the poorest students, but most students get off with a loan. There are also government-funded programs giving students a monthly stipend, a debit card to buy food, and a student card to pay for cheaper transportation, hence the reason students being upset because of their four-cent increase in their transportation card. And just like in the United States, university graduates leave with serious debt relative to their income. If I don't have a loan, I can't study. But when I finish my career, I have to pay it all back, plus interest. This system must change, giving priority to those who need it most. So while middle and lower class Chileans struggle to pay their monthly tuition, whether voluntary or not, the top 1% of the population earn a third of the nation's wealth including the president and most members of Congress. They are the parents of students who can easily afford their children's education, whether primary, secondary, or higher, with no real financial disparity. See the problem here? So while considered a wealthy nation, Chile's wealth is heavily unequally distributed. I have my own vehicle and I work with dignity and abide by the law. But what has that meant for me? It's meant throwing my money away in taxes. If I don't pay my share, I could lose my house. But not that big businessman. They don't pay and then they get bailed out. What about me? So far, to ease the unrest, President Pineda has promised marginally higher taxes on the rich, a boost in the minimum wage, a 20% increase in the lowest pensions, and more reasonable costs for medicine. Still, this is just a band-aid on the serious problems underlying Chile, especially the nation's youth. They want real change. They yearn for their governments to stop fighting them with water cannons and tear gas and provide the services they feel entitled to, like free education and the removal of private money at universities. Those same kids that protested in 2006 and 2011 are now full-grown adults, fighting for better public education for their children and one that doesn't cost too much to attain. They say education is a right for all, not a birthright for the wealthy. They are fighting for a better future, as one Chilean puts it. There is a commonality among the demonstrators, the theme of calling for equality and denouncing abuse, but also the possibility of a better future. The perspective people have today is that things are bad now, but the future will be even worse for their children. For some, or most, it is as if the days of a military dictatorship are still here. Except this time it is run by wealthy plutocrats and autocratic business people. In my humble opinion, I believe these cycles of protests happening in Chile will continue until serious change is brought about. Because when you have over half of the population and over a million people fighting for an equal chance of a quality education, then nobody will rest until they are met. To quote current Chilean President Sebastián Pineda, he said, to have a stable economy, to have a stable democracy, and to have a modern government is not enough. You have to build new pillars of development, education, science and technology, innovation and entrepreneurship, and have more equality. Maybe he'll learn to take his own advice and finally bring Chile back to stability. This was Under the Sea Bass, Episode 2, Chile. Thank you for listening.
Hey guys, once again, thank you so much for listening to Under the Sea Bass. Uh, this was episode two in Chile. A lot going on. Uh, not sure which country I'll focus on next. Probably stay in South America, either Bolivia or Ecuador. But we shall see. I just also want to give a quick shout out to Mark Johansson from Vox, Laurel Wamsley from NPR, Jonathan Franklin from The Guardian, and of course, verified content on Wikipedia for my research on this episode. Thank you so much for your outright uh, journalistic reporting on this issue happening in Chile. And for the rest of you, just have a blessed day. Goodbye.